Well, if you will, get your Bibles out. We're going to talk for a minute about uh, what God has to say to us about adoption. Uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. We'll get there in a few moments. If you didn't bring a copy of Scripture, you can just grab that hardback Bible in front of you, open to page 1300, you'll find Romans chapter 8. And we're just going to spend a few minutes talking about uh, adoption and the Gospel and how His story is our story. So let's pray and then we'll spend a few moments in the Scripture together. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning. Thank You, Lord, for all that we've heard and what we've been a part of. God, now we pray that as we turn to Your Word, we would recognize and realize this is You speaking to us. We are grateful and thankful. We ask for ears to hear that we might receive what You say to us in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4 that when the fullness of time had come, the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. When you look at what the Scripture says about adoption, it tells a story. It's a lot more than just the way we think about adoption. If you, if you thought about adoption the way God thinks about adoption, because it was His idea way before it was ever our idea, we would, we would understand that the story of the Bible is really the story of the pursuit of God. It's how God relentlessly pursued us. His, His unwavering determination to find us, to claim us, to name us, and finally to adopt us, to bring us into His family. So if you have your listening guide, we'll fill in some blanks this morning that will give you a takeaway. What we find in Scripture is that it really was not enough it was not enough for God to call you forgiven, but He wants to call you family. You see, it was God who, before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 says, determined, He chose us in Him and determined that He would adopt us into His family. Now this is what's amazing about that, is that in the fullness of God's sovereignty and the fact that He knows all things, God knew the path the world was going to take. He knew in creating us, what we would do. It's not that adoption was plan B. God knew all along what His plan was going to be. He knew that we would rebel against Him. He knew that we would become His enemy. But that didn't stop Him from moving forward and pressing into all that He had determined to do for us. And so, if you, if you just think about that for a minute, you, you just think, so God fully understood the fall of mankind into sin, the fact that it would cost Him the fullness of the life of His one and only Son. He knew that, and yet He pressed forward. And in doing so, understand that God could have simply forgiven us. He could have redeemed us, brought us back into... Uh, fellowship with Him through the forgiveness of sin, but He didn't have to take another step and adopt us. He didn't have to do any of it, but the point is, adoption is just the over-the-top part of the Gospel. It's the part of the Gospel that makes you scratch your head and just think, how incredible is this God and this love that He has for us? You know, oftentimes when, when Lisa and I are uh, out and about uh, with our foster children, 
uh, people will come up and ask us questions, and so we're able to engage in all sorts of conversations with people with regards to foster care. And people are usually interested, and they're, they're, they always say, whoa, that's so great that you do that. But I could never do that. I could never do that because it would, it would be too hard. I, I, I wouldn't be able to say goodbye. It'd be too, it would be too painful to, uh, to love. I would get too connected too, too fast. In other words, it would hurt me to do what you do. You see, the problem with that mentality is that it assumes that pain is over here and joy is over here. And that in life, what you do is you try to spend as much time over here by joy, avoiding what's over there, which is pain. But that's not at all the way the world works. And it's amazing to me that we've sort of created this culture that believes this mysterious lie. You see, joy and pain go together. And on the spectrum of life, I think that the two polar opposites are joy and pain on one side and apathy, safety, and dullness are on the other side. You see, anything that you find great joy from is going to cost you. Love is going to bring pain. Anyone who's had children biologically knows that it's one of the greatest joys of your life to have children. Yet, our children have caused us great pain, but we wouldn't sacrifice that. In other words, no one has the capacity to hurt us like someone we deeply, truly, intimately love. Yet, we wouldn't trade that love for anything. But beyond that, think of the Gospel. What I just told you about the Gospel and adoption bears witness to the fact that God knew the pain that we would cause Him, yet He loved us anyway. You see? You see, adoption is knowing that it's going to be painful, but running into it anyway. Knowing that even though it's going to be painful, it's worth it. Knowing that even though it's going to be hard, it's good. You know, that's where life really works itself out. In other words, whenever I'm doing a funeral and I have this family around me and they're heartbroken because they've lost someone who's so important to them. And I remind them that the reason the loss that you feel is so great is because the love that you shared was so great. The greater the love that you have, the greater the loss. But you can't separate the two. If you could go back and do it all over again, there is one way to erase the loss and the pain that you feel right now, and that is to have never have loved. But who wants to do that? All right. So back to my comment that people tell me about, well, I could never do that because it would be too painful. I think so... If what you want to do is not feel pain, then the only solution would be to not love. 
And so is your goal to go through life without loving? Love is risky business. It's risky business. The cost of great love is great loss. It's great loss. That's what happens when we love much. Because there's going to be eventual separation, but it's not only that. It's that in love comes sacrifice. There can be no love without sacrifice. So with great love, there's great loss because there's sacrifice. Whoever you love most in the world, if you love them greatly and rightly, you sacrifice for them. So there's loss of of your wants and your desires. There's loss of your time. There's loss of your resources. There's loss of things that are about you. And to avoid pain is to avoid love. You know, the Scripture speaks of love and pain and joy and pain together. Trying to teach us that they're really not on polar opposite ends of the spectrum of life. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, or chapter 12, verse 2. The Scripture says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. You see? Joy and the cross at the same place. Pain and love at the same place. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. What a great thing to know. And, and the fellowship of His suffering. You see, Christians who doubt God's love for them will never surrender themselves to His mission. What propels us into mission is our assurance of His great love for us and our understanding that the way that we know how He loves us is through His sacrificial love and the fact that He loves us in spite of ourselves. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that, makes, that, that brings our heart to a posture and a place where it's safe to love God in a reckless and abandoned way. Unless we know the Father delights in us. The way that He delights in the Lord Jesus will lack the emotional capital necessary to resist complacency. You see, there's something inside of me and something inside of you that wants to take the easy route. Wants to just lay low and coast. And what draws me out of that is the way God loves me. When I think about the love that He's shed abroad upon me, when I think about the way that He has adopted me into His family and made me His son, I'm compelled to make His will my will. But when we're not confident in His love, then our eyes will turn inward upon ourselves. And we'll look at our needs and our lack and our disappointments rather than the needs of those around us. And so adoption is God's idea. It's God's story. And it becomes our story because of Him. And when we think about adoption, we have to think about vertical adoption first before we can ever think about horizontal adoption. Look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to read beginning in verse 14. I want you to see this beautiful picture of adoption. And how... The love that God has for us compels us and propels us, but if we're 
uncertain of His love, if His love is small inside of us, if we don't grasp it or understand it, we'll, be, we'll become afraid to take risks. We will shun hard things. And rather than lead the abundant life that God called us to, we will just wander in mediocrity. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, those are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. You see how that passage brings together joy and pain? How it pulls it together just like God always wants us to see? That through this spirit of adoption we will cry out not just any word, but that, that special word, that Aramaic word, Abba, Father, that's, that's the most intimate way of saying Daddy. You see, it's adoption that draws that out of us. It's understanding what God has done in us. That He's gone so far beyond what we naturally and normally believe that He did. God didn't just acquit us. He adopted us. There's a huge difference between those two. It is a phenomenal reality that we've been acquitted of our sin. Justification is one of the greatest gifts we can ever lay hold of and realize that we've been made right with God and how wonderful and beautiful and special that is. But God went beyond that. And He drew us into His family. He said, it is as great as it is for you to be forgiven of your sin and acquitted. I want you to be mine. I want you to be part of my family. So God has to, he has to deal with our sin before He can call us son or daughter. He has, to, he has to take us into the courtroom before He ushers us into the dining room. You see, we, we can't have a seat at His table until our sin has been forgiven. And so what God does is He acquits us, which enables us to be able to come into His family and have a seat at His table and be a part of who He is and what He's doing. There's so many beautiful things about adoption, I can't even begin to scratch the surface. But as I was thinking about adoption all week, I was thinking about how we've all heard of Surprise pregnancies. Some of you in here have told me about your surprise pregnancies. But you've never heard of a surprise adoption. It doesn't happen like that. There are times when a husband and wife just find out, wow, we're pregnant. But you don't just wake up and there's a brand new child adopted into your family. No, that takes intentionality. That takes some thought. That takes a process. That takes, you see, God didn't just wake up and you were part of His family. He intentionally went through the process that made it possible for you to be part of His family, for you to sit at His table, for you to be called son or to be called daughter. 
And so when we adopt, that's what we do. God's adoptive love is a lot of things, but just a few things to get us thinking. Number one, it's selective. His love, His adoptive love is selective because He makes a conscious decision to love. God didn't just accidentally end up with adopted children. The Scripture says in Ephesians that we were predestined by adoption as His sons through Jesus in accordance with His pleasure and will. He did that. Secondly, His adoptive love is extensive. Think about the the reach of His adoptive love and how it extends beyond, beyond our family bloodlines. Think about what the Gospel says when the Lord says in the Gospel of John, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever, that the, the, the expanse, in other words, when I think about that, I think, wow, I think about the journey that, that some of us in this fellowship have embarked on in adoption and just how, how much there is that is entailed in that journey. And then I think about God who says, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open adoption up to everyone in the world. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, that is a mind-boggling reality. The human cost of adoption is nearly mind-boggling. But God's concept, His extensive love that reaches out to every nation, tribe, and tongue is truly unbelievable. Thirdly, it's creative. It's creative because it provides a new identity. The Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5 that when we are in Christ, we're a new creation, that the old is gone, behold, all things are new. That His adoptive love gives us this brand new identity. That we are no longer orphans, but sons. That we were once not a people, but now we have become a people. That we once were wandering without purpose, but now have a purpose that through His adoption, we, we have an identity of who we are. Fourthly, His adoptive love is legal. It's legal. It includes the guarantee, the fullness of a child's inheritance. You see, I think that's why the Scripture over and over reminds us that we're co-heirs with Christ. Because... God wants us to understand that we're not some sub-children. We're not some lower class child in the family. No, no. We are fully a child to the degree that He calls us co-heirs with the Lord Jesus. Just let that sit in for a minute. That's what I call adoption. And then lastly, His adoptive love is redemptive. Because it gives us freedom. Freedom from fear and from bondage. Just as it says there in Romans 8, we did not receive a spirit of fear that makes us a slave. No, no. But we've received a spirit of sonship. You see, that adoption gives us freedom. It makes us free to know that we no longer have to fear. Why do we not have to fear? Because 
This is what I often say. Do you know who my dad is? I may not be much, but do you know who my dad is? I don't have to fear. My dad has erased all that. One of our favorite passages around here is James chapter 1, verse 27. We've built an entire ministry out of this one reality. That the Scripture says that pure and undefiled religion, religion that's pleasing unto God, is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And what I want you to think about is the fact that it's trouble. That every child's journey to becoming an orphan started with a tragedy. No, no one, no one is, a, is an orphan as a result of a good thing. We didn't become orphans as a result of a good thing. You see, when a child becomes an orphan, they've tasted the world at its most broken point. They have a problem that they can't fix. They are utterly helpless before strangers who are in absolute control of every detail of their life. And then a, a person swoops in and gathers them up. And in the same way, a person came and gathered us up. Someone comes in and gathers them up and says, I will take care of you. And I will take you to the courtroom. And then I will make a seat for you in the dining room. And once that is official, and once that is irrevocable, and that seed is placed at the table forever with that child's name. That's something that should be forever celebrated. Well, let me, instead of me trying to tell you their story, let me let them tell you their story. Well, we became licensed through Rescue 100, and then in August of 2016, God brought um, Skylar Rose into our home through the foster care system. And on December the 31st, 2015, um, we rung in the new year with a very scared and traumatized two-year-old. And So I got the phone call to yeah. pick up Ariana and um, she was born a preemie, 32 weeks, five days. She was born, um, went, I drove, well, we were driving to Florida and for the day, and we stopped by the hospital to see her. I just wanted to see her. <laughs> and we, he sat in the lobby for two and a half hours with the other kids, and I was in the NICU holding her. So I got to love on her for a couple hours, and then- Rose was in a foster home, uh, one foster home, before she came to us. And we, when she came to stay with us, she was about 14, 15 months old. Um, the tone in her voice when she says, I got him. And it was real. Because she was reserved and she was unemotional uh, for the first few weeks. I mean, she didn't even smile. 
and it was foreign to us and she didn't know how to be held. Um, she would stand, go to sleep standing up, propped against, you know, the couch or a wall, sucking her thumb with her blanket, because that's all. I just warn you, uh, he cusses a lot. <laughs> and uh, so she brings him home. That's all he said, too, the only He words. only had four, four phrases, and they were all had cuss words in them. And he had a defense mechanism of a screen that would just drop you to your knees. And uh, so he gets to our house, and he looks like his hair's just been cut, like he had, you know, like somebody had lice or something to cut his hair and everything. Late that evening, I got the phone call that we could go get her. So I went back, and I think I got home about 1.30 in the morning from driving to Mobile to bring her back home. Um, tiny, tiny, tiniest little thing. I've never had a baby that small. I feel like it was a baby doll. It was incredible to see her go from, you know, our youngest at the time was 10 or 11, to go to a two-year-old and just all of a sudden those mother instincts kick in. It was insane to watch it. And she's observing this family, but she's not really a part. And I'm praying for God to show me how to make her a part. And um, so I just started praying. And one of the first signs, we got her in August, and she, she slowly transitioned, and everybody just rallied around her and backed off and gave her space because our own kids were extremely extremely excited um I got home with her like I said about 1 30 in the morning and the very next morning Caleb gets up and comes in and says mom can we keep her and she was the first mother that she said you know she wanted her child to have a chance she said look at me I can't even take care of myself I want, I want him to have a chance. It's the first mother that I've ever encountered said that. Well, Anna had uh, told me that the, they called and she was up for adoption. And we needed to make a decision because we had pretty much just signed up for fostering. Um, never in a million years did I ever think in foster care that I would have such an amazing relationship with the birth mother. Um, she has been a real blessing. Um, it's been... I think we've been a blessing to her and she's been a blessing to us. Um, she was like not even two yet and she walked into the room and I, I just watched her to see what she'd do and she looked upon the wall and she immediately noticed her photo on the wall and she squealed and she ran and she got up on the couch and she started, you know, touching it and she was proud and at that point, you know, I think there was a connection. I can't explain it. But it was just like, she felt like part, and it was identity. And um, so Jaden was in foster care a total of 1,164 days. Um, I think I was looking at the paperwork once we um, had signed the final adoption agreement, and he was in like, I think four or five foster homes by the time he was two years old. So. The mom, uh, has really been very easygoing with us and very open and from the very beginning the mom has said that from the moment she met Corinne that she loved her and wanted to give uh, Ariana up for adoption to us because of how much she liked Corinne uh, but they <laughs> and we were called to sign the paperwork at the lawyer's office and we went in and signed and then when we were walking out the door Amanda and Jolie were walking up the front steps and the, had, they had no idea that we were related. 
they had just called them and told them to come in that morning. And so we went back in with them and sat down while they signed their paperwork. And the lawyer took their both Skylar Rose and Jaden's paperwork to the courthouse that afternoon. And the judge was there and he signed both of their adoption papers at the exact same time. So it's just really powerful because, you know, there's so much, they're a part of a bigger family. It's just not the Griffin family or the White family. They're a part of both of our families. And so to get like totally open, hey, let's let's be with mom. And he's like, I don't know, I've seen both sides. Yeah. I, he was a little more hesitant. And um, I've, there has not been, we've been doing this for almost two years and I've never been comfortable enough to, you know, ever exchange phone numbers or anything like that. And I mean, we did all our visits outside of DHS and, yeah. I mean, it's just been, it's amazing. And I mean, she's even coming to church here with us now several times. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And, uh, she was at the court hearing. Yeah. She uh, came to adoption day. Came she to was adoption at adoption day, day with us. Adoption uh, journey going together as a family through that, um, as sisters being part of rescue 100. Um, it's just been an amazing adventure. We had Skylar Rose, she's been in foster care for 502 days, Jaden, 1,164 days, and it was really powerful how those journeys came together to one day. And um, on September 25th, 2017, those journeys came together. It doesn't show them what some children really go through. They read about it, but it's different reading about it and actually seeing it. And they also experienced his healing and they watched him um, go from hurt and abused and traumatized to stable. It's just God and it's, it's been a sacred privilege to be able to foster. It really has and to adopt now. It's just, it's powerful. And it's, it, has it been hard? And are there hard days? Sure. So he's been in foster care most of his entire life. So finally at the age of four, he has a safe forever home. I think the thing that really stands out for me, <clears throat> sitting through several sermons with, uh, you know, Tony up there talking uh, and He's often going through the J127 process and all that, talked about how we were adopted, right, into God's family. And um, I didn't grow up, like, in a really religious background. Uh, and so that was probably the, the first time that I'd ever really heard that, that we were adopted into God's family. And so that um, really uh, opened my eyes and made me much more comfortable with uh, with adoption and with allowing, you know, that child's birth parents uh, into my life. I can get the
the Whites and the Griffins and the Nevins up here. Uh, as we thought about what, since this is such a part of our fellowship, uh, we will probably be celebrating uh, adoptions within our faith family for every year for many years to come. Come on up here on the platform, guys, right up here. And so we thought, well, what would we do to commemorate uh, this moment? I mean, there's a lot of things we'd like to do. We'd, uh, we know there's lots of things that we could give you to say to you how much we appreciate what you're doing and that you're living the gospel out before us. But we decided on this, right, if you will. Uh, we wanted to give you something that was very representative of this whole process and what it means and something that you could keep forever. So each has a chair with their child's name. This is for Jaden Boaz White. And it says, God made you... <laughs> God made room for you in our heart and a place for you at our table forever. Skylar Rose Grace, her little chair. And one day, Mackenzie will be able to sit in this chair. But not right now, but one day. So ladies and gentlemen, these are the three families that have been through the adoption process this year. And we just want to celebrate with them. Uh, let's try not to cry. going to pray, at least try. Father God, we thank you for you, thank you for Jesus, thank you Lord for the joy of being able to be in a family like this, God. Thank you. Lord, to think about what these children have received this year is too hard for words. But God, because of your great love for us and because of our understanding of the depth of that love, God, we will sacrifice ourselves for your glory. And so we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate with the White family and with the Griffin family and with the Nevin family. We Lift them to you, and we know that they are yours, God. And we know that you know better than we'll ever know everything that this moment represents. But we want you to know, Lord, that we love you. And it is our joy and our privilege to pray for these families and to watch them as they grow among us as part of this larger family. And God, it's all an evidence of your goodness and grace to us. And so thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, get, here, can you carry that? There you go. Y'all can make your way back to your seats. Thank you very much. There's your chair. That's your chair. It's for you. Well, just a few more things I'd like to say, if possible. His story is our story, and you see that. 
You see that when I think about these stories, I think about my story and I think about your story and I think about the trouble we were in and I think about the predicament that we found ourselves in and how it began with a tragedy. And that our sin had mounted up against us to such a degree that there was nothing we could do. We needed someone outside of ourselves. Someone who had no responsibility to, to come on our behalf just because they were willing to. Because we had a spirit of fear. And who wouldn't for the bondage that we found ourselves in? And so just four simple truths I want to leave us with about His adoptive love and how His story is our story. Chapter 1 might go this way. Our problem. Our problem. Our problem was that sin keeps us from being adopted into God's family. That Romans chapter 3 says that we had all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we had no right or no claim. We had no hope or no way. But God swooped in and made a difference by giving His Son Jesus to solve our problem. Secondly, chapter 2 might be our position. Our position was such that our sin was separating us from God. That even if we desired with all our hearts to be with Him, even if the greatest desire that we had and we leveraged all of our emotion and effort at trying to be adopted, you understand, we couldn't get ourselves adopted. There was nothing we could do because of our position. But God is perfection. And in His perfection, he knew the only way He could bring us to Him was make us like Him and forgive us. And so He forgave us. The Scripture says in Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated you from God. And so that's the position that we found ourselves in. Then chapter 3 might be our provision. Our provision. God provided a way for us to be adopted into His family. He sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. To pave the way for us to become sons and daughters. God demonstrated His own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then that last chapter, our part. You see, we all have a part in this story. We must surrender ourselves to His love and Lordship. That this adoption comes through surrender. And if you think about it, a child who is adopted into a family comes into a new family, comes into a new culture. And as you heard the family share in the video, you could see how it's a process of the children adapting into this new culture. But it's assumed that the adopted child would, would adapt to the culture of the new family, not the new family to the child. And so as we come into God's family, He then conforms us into His own image. He changes us through the process of sanctification. 
The scripture says in John chapter 1, to all who received Jesus, He gave the right to become children of God. You see, we have a part. You have a part. So this morning, I want you to leave understanding that joy and pain aren't on two opposite ends of the spectrum of life. They go together. And then what we don't want to do here in this fellowship is spend our lives avoiding pain. We want to embrace whatever pain comes to get to that amazing joy that God has filled our hearts with. And know that the worst thing that we can do is run and isolate ourselves from God's love and live lives of dullness and lukewarmness. And so this morning as we bring this time to a close, I just encourage you to search your heart and ask yourself, where, where are you this morning with regards to God's adoptive love for you? And have you received God's love? And what is it that God is calling you to do right now that you're afraid of, that you know is painful, and that you have, have been pushing back? And But this morning, God has, has spoken to your heart and drew you to Himself. So you're ready to say, okay, God, I understand. Yes, Lord, whatever it is you call me to, I'll do. Let's stand and bow our heads and we'll have a time of invitation.